What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I believe that everybody has a story, and I'm fascinated to hear them. So come with me as we take a walk down Fascination Street. Welcome back, guys. Today's episode is with comedian-turned-actor Dan Davidson. Dan has been a comedian for over 20 years and recently got into film and television acting. In this episode, we talk about getting started as a comedian and building that career into a sustainable income. And we also talk about making the transition to acting on television and film, including a role on NBC's Brave, as well as Sicario, Day of the Soldado, which is in theaters right now. Enjoy, guys. This is Dan Davidson. From director Stefano Soyima and writer Taylor Sheridan comes the sequel to 2015's Sicario. Sicario, Day of the Soldado. Adios. I know who you are. You're the attorney whose family they killed. Not they. My father. And now you hunt them. Adios. There's proof the cartel helped the terrorists get to the border. Since adding drug cartels to the list of terrorist organizations. You can understand how that will expand our ability to combat them. You want to see this thing through? I'm going to have to get dirty. Dirty is exactly why you're here. You're going to help us start a war. With who? Everyone. No rules this time. 
Your objective is to start a war between the Mexican cartels. Not with the Mexican government. This girl was witness to the mission, correct? Yes, sir. We can't risk her falling into the wrong hands. Clean the scene. They want me to cut ties. You gotta get rid of her. I can't do that. Don't put me in that situation. You gotta do what you gotta do. I'm gonna need a strike team to Blackhawks. Drones with attack capability. Where's the coup? Mexico. You have no reason to trust me. Quit trusting me. Is how you're gonna survive. Good luck. Luck doesn't live on this side of the border. Sicario, Day of the Soldado, in theaters now. Well, hi, Dan. Thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me on Fascination Street. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking. How are you? I can't complain, I guess. It's been raining cats and dogs here all day long. And so, like, there's a river going down the middle of the street in front of my house. So, other than that, it's cool. Oh, great. Great. I've had nothing but heat following me all around the country here. Oh, gross. I'm surprised you're not in San Antonio, because it's always hot here, man. Tends to be down there, yeah. Yeah, it does. All right, Dan Davidson, you started out as a comedian for a really long time, and recently, I want to say recently, you embarked on an acting career. But first, let's talk about you. Where are you from, Dan? Originally, I'm from uh, a small town, uh, Lafayette, Indiana, which is uh, in between like Indianapolis and Chicago. Yeah, country. I've been there. No, you haven't. I have. My wife opens uh, psychiatric hospitals all over the country, and she helped oh. open a hospital in Lafayette, Indiana, for the Springstone Company. Oh, I stand correct. I, you have been there. Aha. I went down to some sort of antique record stores in like the downtown area and found some really cool Frank Sinatra records down there. So Lafayette has a fond place in my heart because uh, I collect Frank records and I found a bunch of them in Lafayette. So that's awesome. That's great. Great. Yeah. So when did you decide that you wanted to be a stand-up? Um, I, I I guess the seed was planted when I was in eighth grade. I, I got to stay up and watch Johnny Carson for the first time, and I was because I was sick. I didn't have to uh, hit my bedtime because we had pretty had pretty strict bedtimes as children, you know. So I got to I got to watch television. I mean, it's it's a late night television, which is the first time, and I saw a comedian that performed on there, Charlie Callis, and I would just. I, I it was just it blew me away because I'm like well, I didn't know what that thing is that he was doing, but I kind of did something like that at school with my friends and so you know johnny carson interviewed him after you know he, he went over and paneled he interviewed him and said so you travel around doing stand-up comedy i was like okay there's so so at that point there was a little seed planted and so then i tended to i i tended to hear a similar comments from different people some of them positive some of them negative like my friends would tell me that i should be a comedian like in high school you should be a comedian you should be a comedian and my teachers were always saying what are you a comedian (laughs) it had a little more negative connotation to it (laughs) so then i started started putting stuff together at that point you know i'm like wait a minute I'm, i'm hearing the same stuff and i'm gonna have to figure this out on my own because the authority figures in school aren't there's no guidance counselor pushing you into stand-up comedy, but they'll 
gladly put you into the workforce, you know. So I'm like, so I guess it was eighth grade-ish. I knew I was going to do it. I didn't know how or why or, or man, I knew why, but I didn't know how. But that's about the time that it got, the seeds got planted and got uh, fertilized a little bit in high school. Well, I know that when I was in high school, my counselor, uh, right around the same time, right around eighth grade, my counselor told me that if I wanted to, I could be uh, the funniest guy working at the dry cleaning factory. So <laughs> it's sort of the same thing. <laughs> yeah, kind of. You'd be a rock star in the dry cleaning world. Yes. Um, and it's, it's kind of crazy how how the the arts or the creative process isn't as welcome because I, I was I did a um, my, one of my nieces interviewed me for a class she had like in like when she was in early high school and they interviewed people outside of normal careers and then you know she interviewed me and you know did this report about me and her her teacher said you can't be a comedian that's not a that's not a thing and I was just like wow that's just amazing how you know when I was growing up I kept hearing people say you can be whatever you want to be. You know, I, I don't know if that many people said it, but the people who did say it, it resonated with me. And so I kind of tucked that away in, in my life and then kind of figured out how to get to where I needed to be ultimately. Wow, that's crazy. What what year was this that, that uh, your niece's teacher said that that's not really a thing? Um, this was probably about maybe 10, it, it, somewhere between 10, 12 years ago or something like that, yeah. Oh, so right at the height of comedy? <laughs> well, the height of comedy actually, like with the boom, the big boom was like in the like the late eighties, early nineties. I just started coming into it as the uh, as the boom was kind of over, and now it's gone through many different cycles throughout the years. But yeah, the, the huge boom was late eighties, where I mean, every comedy you just open up a comedy club, people there'd be a line out the door, and you could do. You know, shows from Tuesday to Sunday, and they'd all be sold out almost everywhere. Nice. So I came, I came in right after the good times. So you're growing up in Lafayette, Indiana, which is a super small town that almost nobody's ever heard of, and you decide you're going to be a stand-up comedian. Did you do stand-up in Lafayette? Like, is that where you started? No, 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 no. I mean, I was, I was. I'll tell you this. I was, I was not. A lot of people assume that the comedians were the class clowns. But I was not one of those. I was a very shy person, you know, in in front of people. Around my friends, my close knit of friends, I, I could loosen up and, and be funny, you know. But like in large groups, I would just, I would get really small. Because, you know, I, I was the sixth of seven children. I'm sorry, I was the sixth of six children. And in, in we were all within seven years of age. So, I mean, my family is very chaotic and I was just this, you know, this little child, you know, it just it was just chaos from from my parents, I'm sure. So, like, I didn't do when I told my family that I wanted, I was going to do comedy or at least go do open mic night. They just all just kind of they didn't know how to take it. They just looked at me like you're the most shy kid ever. You know, you can't be quiet and funny at the same time. But that's kind of what their underlying thing. But I'm like, well, look at Charlie Chaplin. I think uh, I think you can. He was uh, really quiet, so, that guy. <laughs> super quiet and super funny. So there was no outlet to do that in my hometown. Uh, the closest place that I could find that, that was holding open mic night was in Indianapolis, a club called Crackers Comedy Club. So I hunted 
them down and called them and, you know, I was scared to death even to make the phone call, you know, just, to, I thought they were going to, you know, just like, oh, you're not funny, click, you know, but I, uh, I drove down to open mic nights like two or like three weeks in a row. The first week I couldn't even, I just, I couldn't even stop in the parking lot. I just drove in the parking lot and drove right around and went right back home, which was, you know, it's a two hour round trip. And then second week I did it, I, I went there and I stopped the car and then started to back up and went home. And all my friends, you know, I told them I was going to be doing this. And they're like, oh, you're, now you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. And then the third week I went, my brother and my roommate showed up. So then I, they went into the club. I had to go. I had, there was no option not to, to go. So I, you know, went up there with five minutes and then it's just a blur at this point, you know, at that point, it's just, it just goes so fast. So, but I got, I got a couple laughs. And that, that was enough for me. So when you were putting together that first five minutes, how did you go about doing that? I would just, you know, the, the thing that tends to help, I think in the, in the part of creation is to not, it's kind of let things happen, you know, just let things happen. I would just let things come to my mind. And, and then you know, the, there was no, there was really not that much structure. I mean, it's, you, you just float from one subject to the next and, and, and don't worry about, you know, having a nice clean, you know, later on I started worrying, you know, breaking, breaking down the structure of stuff. But like in the beginning, I just let whatever come out, come out. And then you just kind of rehearse it. And I, I think it's going to be funny. I'm pretty sure it's funny to me. We'll see if it's going to be funny to them. And then it just, just, I would, I would actually, I created a fake little microphone. It's like a, maybe like a broomstick. And I put a, just a, a wad of like masking tape on the end of it to, you know, be similar to having a microphone in my hand because it's not something that you're used to. If you if you go to open mic nights and you watch people get on stage for the first time, they, they don't even know how to hold a microphone. They don't know how to stand in front of lights with really bright lights shining on you. So I was just trying to practice all that stuff as much as I could. And, and, and hopefully my memory will serve me well when I get up there. If I do a bit that doesn't get a laugh, you know, you got to keep moving, got to keep moving. I just kind of let it flow. And I, I tend to still do that to this day, you know, when, when I'm creating. Well, that's really cool. So your brother and his roommate are at this show. And did they laugh? Like at the end of that, when, once you finally had done it and you breathed a sigh of relief and you stopped shaking after the show, <laughs> what did they say? Like what was the conversation like? Well, it, it was my brother and my roommate. It wasn't my brother's roommate. Sorry. So. My brother, you know, I just talked briefly with him after the show, and then he went on, and then my roommate and I went out to eat, and, you know, it's it's like, you, you don't realize, I mean, because I knew this is what I needed to do, and I knew that I had to get over that shyness in order to, to, to make that little, that leap, you know. My whole body was just pumped full of endorphins, you know, just, I was on cloud nine that I did this thing that I've known that I was going to need to do for... I've been sort of had in the back of my head for like seven, eight years, you know. My roommate at the time, he was just like, he was like, oh, you know, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. He didn't know how big it was for me. But, you know, with all those endorphins and, and, and you know, getting laughs in front of people is like huge. It's like a drug, you know. It's very addictive. And so I'm like, and it probably was my... Uh, perception of, of what actually happened was probably skewed because of all those endorphins. Because I'm like, 
did you hear the reaction when I said this? And it was just thunderous. <laughs> He's just like, well, yeah, they, you know, they laughed. And I'm like, no, it was thunder. <laughs> so I had to, uh, I had to go back and keep getting more thunder, you know. Yeah, I was gonna ask, how high were you after that show, just from that experience? So pretty high, it sounds like. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like it's it's some it's an experience that you've never done, and you've got all this this stuff that's been kind of stirring up for years. And I, I knew that that I had to I had to make that leap. You know, just being such a shy kid, I had to overcome it. I had to overcome it. You know, and so. Yeah, I was just I was I was on cloud nine after that show, and then and then I started the whole process over. The next week, I went back. I'm still scared to death, <laughs> you know. Back to starting over. So, and then you just ultimately, you know, you get over that. I mean, it's every once in a while there's a little nerve or something in my, you know, and I, I, I never know what's going to truly happen. So you you kind of have to be open. But I'm pretty confident with the outcome nowadays. Sure. Hey, Streetwalkers. Here's a word from our sponsors. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's get back into it. So tell me about the first time you got paid to do stand-up comedy. And they, you know, this is not in a comedy club, but it was just a, like a self-produced type of uh, show. I think the guy's name was K.J. Earl. He saw me a couple times in, on the open mic nights, and he's like, hey, I'm, I'm doing a show, like in the basement of a, like a piano bar or something like that. And it was, I got paid. That was the first time. And then, uh, so I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm in showbiz. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, doing 10 minutes, then I then I'm like nervous about that. You know, I'm doubling my time. That's that was a long time ago. But yeah, K.J. Earl, that name. I haven't probably thought about the name since then. That's funny. So how long until you were able to, I guess, pay all your bills with just stand-up comedy? Let's see. I, I had a room, or I, I had a, um, a friend of mine who was also, you know, he started open mic night before me. And so he had a he had a little body of work under him by the time I came on to the Indianapolis scene. And then, you know, he he wanted to move to Chicago and uh so I had to save some money and then I started doing it full time, probably mm, close to two years after the first time I got on stage. Oh, kick ass. That's really not that long. Yeah, but from the stories like during the boom when everybody would just open up a comedy club and everybody you know, they were there, I heard stories about the people who went up like one open mic night and they were they were on the road doing comedy. 
you know, in the Midwest, anyway. That was, like, really big. So it took me a little longer than I had planned. And, you know, you you got to figure it out as a, as a, as, you know, there's not a really a great business model, you know. There's there's not that many tutors. Nobody's pulling you along, you know. Like in other, other fields, you know, you have a mentor, you know, and there's, there's really not much of that going on because in comedy it's every it's like pretty much every doggy dog everybody's working for themselves you know yeah that, um, that makes so sense it took a couple of years before I was, I was out on the road full time well currently how many shows do you do a year would you say i've backed off a lot i got married and came i uh, came out to denver i had my whole network of everybody that i knew that i worked for was all back east you know kind of in the chicago indiana area and the whole east coast you know so when I moved, got married, moved out here, it was a little different structure of, of, of the way it is. The, there's a couple comedy clubs here that do really well called Comedy Works, but they're, they like to groom their people from like open mic nights and then bring them up through the club. And then there was an improv, improvisation that was in town, and I'd been working for the improv chain for a long time. So I kind of naturally just went to the improv. And so I kind of support bigger names when they come into town here. And that way I don't get stuck out on the road when acting jobs and stuff come up. Like if if I'm supporting somebody else, like a bigger name, then I can actually get off of that ticket if I have like an acting job or something that pops up. So I've been kind of keeping uh, this comedy a little bit limited, you know, so it doesn't get into too much trouble when I'm transitioning into the acting world. Well, that's cool. Tell me about when you decided that you were going to switch into uh, and start an acting career. Always wanted to do it. I mean, always loved watching you know people on TV like act stuff. When it's great, you don't even know it's acting. You just, it's real. I heard some other comedians. They, they had done some commercials and stuff like that. And so I went in when I was living in Indianapolis. I went into... Um, uh, talent agency, not knowing really what to do or what to say. And uh, I just kind of went in and stood in front of them and said, hey, am I? can I do this, whatever stuff? <laughs> and they just kind of looked at me like, uh, do you have any headshots? I'm like, yes, I do. Pulled them out and I said, okay, we can we can send you out for commercial stuff. And had to, you know, go in and do auditions and do all that kind of stuff. And, and pretty quickly... I booked my first job, and it was for a, a national commercial. That's when I was like, "Oh, this this is great! This is great." They, I wasn't, a, I was doing comedy like I think in Vegas or something, and when they wanted to shoot that commercial, and then they changed the shoot date to when I was available, which does not happen. That does not happen. But I just, you know, since they did it for me, I thought that's the way it always is. Usually they'll go to the next actor if you're, you know, not available for when the shoot is. So it was a pretty big shoot. It was at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We had like 300 extras. We had pit crews. We had just, it's just, it was a big set, you know. And I was the only one speaking in that commercial. And I had no training. I'd never been on a set, a professional set. I've never been on a, even a non-professional set at that point. And so... It was kind of a struggle. I, I thought I was going to go in and just say my line like once or twice and just be done like within a half an hour. But that's not how stuff works in, uh, in the 
in the movie-making world, you know, or the commercial world. You have to do it many, many times, and you have to get give the editors all kinds of options to get what they want, you know. So every time things weren't going, when they'd say cut, reset, I took it as a personal failure. Then I became less and less open as a, you know, as an actor. So, so that was kind of a struggle. So I wanted to get some on-camera training, but Indianapolis really didn't didn't have enough of a. It wasn't a big enough market to support that. So once I got married and came out here to Denver, then I then I had access. There's there's a lot of on-camera training places. So and that was probably 2010 when I started studying uh, acting. So. And I've been studying ever since. Gotcha. I, I read somewhere that you let yourself be tased on a morning show. Is that true? <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. I did. That was, I think, in Myrtle Beach, if I, I remember. Well, they used my little chauvinism against me. You know, when you do when you're doing comedy, you're promoting your show. You go in and do morning radio shows to try and get people to come out and see your show. So I was on this morning radio program, and I had known that DJ from another market that he was in that I used to work. And so I was in there, and he's like, "Hey, you know, they had a taser in, in the in the studio, and they're like, hey, you know, we tase you." I'm like, "No, you're not going to tase me." I'm just crazy. I, mean, I, I, have a, I, I As a kid, I never even put my tongue on the 9-volt battery. And so they're like, oh, we had uh, like Miss uh, South Carolina in here last week, and she let us taser. And I'm like, well, okay. I, I mean, I guess if you do a girl, <laughs> weaker than a girl. <laughs> and so so they tased me. They tased me. And it was, uh, it was pretty crazy, yeah. Were you married at that and, time? And here's the, no, I wasn't married at the time, but I started dating my wife long distance at that time. And she, it's really crazy. She loved watching that video on YouTube of me getting paid. It just, she just loved it. It made her laugh so hard. I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know if this, we can continue this relationship. She's <laughs> <laughs> laughing at my suffering. But yeah, yes, I, that did happen. Wow, I don't know how you found that information. I'm magic, that's how. I think that maybe you could have just said, oh, Miss North Carolina did it? Well, she's stupid. <laughs> uh, there's no yeah, way. Uh, I, 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 I wasn't thinking. It was, it was in the morning, and I'm not a morning person. There is no way I would let someone do that. Not, not for free, for sure. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I was also trying to get people to come to see my show. So. <laughs> yes, that's a good point. Yeah, you do. So let's talk about your your recent foray into acting. Tell me about The Brave on NBC. NBC, yeah. It was kind of crazy because I, my agent sent me a note in the evening, uh, maybe a Thursday evening, hey, saying, hey, you got an audition for this part on The Brave. And The Brave was already running. And I think his numbers were doing pretty well. And I'm like, I look at the audition. I don't even get a script, right? I'm playing a Russian person, and I have to speak Russian. And so, you know, I don't know if you know, there's no Russian alphabet like ours. So all I have is a phonetic breakdown of what I'm supposed to say and what it means. And then I have a tape of a person saying those words, this this woman that's saying these words, and she's going so fast, I can't understand what she's saying. And so I almost turned, turned down the audition. Because I'm like, I, I, I can't speak Russian. It's not a thing. I mean, 
And then I remembered, you know, I've been taking classes with this uh, coach from Los Angeles, a guy named David John, and he he also teaches, like, master level at the Groundlings in Los Angeles. And he always makes us do these crazy exercises in front of an entire classroom where we have to become, like, experts on a certain subject or with, you know, it doesn't matter how little we know about that subject, we have to stand up there and pretend, like, and just be confident. Just say everything with confidence, no matter how dumb it sounds. I'm like, oh, you know what, maybe I, if I can fool the casting director to think that I know how to speak Russian, then I might I might have a shot at this part. So I went in for the read, and, and then I walk into the audition room, and the casting director's like, she, oh, she's like, we have some notes from the director about the script. And I'm like, well, I have to apologize. I don't have a script. I just have the, the phonetic breakdown of, of, of what I'm saying here. She's like, oh, do you want to see the script? And I'm like, yeah, for context, I'd love. I have no idea where I am in in who I'm talking to in this in the script. And so she gives it to me. She gives me five minutes to work on it, and we come back in and put it on tape for her. And she's like, her, you know, her and her assistant were like, oh wow, you speak Russian. And I'm like, no, I don't actually. I'm learning to speak German, but it's not the same language at all. And so she's like, let's do it again. And yeah, I don't, we don't have any notes for you. That was great. And so did it again. Then within a couple hours, I, I knew that I was being sent. What they say is, I mean, you're being sent to network. You have to get network approval and they have to look at what you did and make sure you're okay to be on their show. And then I had it booked within a, within a day and then shot it in a couple of days later. And got to be, I mean, got to work, be on set with Ann Hayes. I mean, how, how, how bad can that be, you know? How cool is that? Super, super cool. You know, it's it's just like, you know, I've, I've, I've done a small body of acting work. I'm trying to, you know, build this resume and get it going. And then it's so awesome to be on set when you have a stand-in. You know, it's just great being on set. And they're just like, you you let the stand-in do all the, all the, you know, be there for the camera and the lighting and all that stuff. And then you just get to walk in and do your job, you know. I also had a that Russian coach on set as well, so that was super awesome to be able to speak with this person and, and have her like fix any you know the, the way I'm pronouncing words. Well, that had to have helped for sure. At least your confidence, if nothing else. Oh yeah. So then I'm like, all right, bring on anything that I'm I'm not comfortable with, and then uh, I'll give it a shot. I don't know if you know this, but sometimes even a stand-in turns into a star oscar from the office oscar nunez oh okay. when when he started his career he was a stand-in for adam carolla oh, isn't that weird that's pretty <laughs> cool i cool. uh, you know i i was on the you know we talked about it yet but it, it's playing right now the sicario oh we'll get there okay. <laughs> the stand-in for josh brolin i don't know if he's turned into something bigger but i just saw him out on the red carpet for the premiere I was like, oh, okay. Really? Because so, I'd seen that actor elsewhere. He, he's also represented by my agent. So I'd seen him before. I'm like, oh, okay. But I didn't have time to talk to him at the premiere on being interviewed. Oh, that's really cool. Did you yeah. say you were master's level? At the Groundlings? Yeah, at the Groundlings? No, no. I'm not. I, no, I, I, I study under a master level, co- a couple different master level coaches from the Groundlings. Gotcha. How did you swing that? It is kind of crazy because I I live in Denver and 
there is a woman who teaches like the business of acting in in Colorado here and takes a bunch of actors and you will go through like a two month of classes with her to break down the business side of acting. And she happened, to, she used to manage the groundlings, manage the, the groundlings. So she had access to these excellent teachers and then she would bring them out to, she still brings them out to Denver to teach the actors here. So we have, we might have better access to higher level coaching than people in Los Angeles because, you know, I study under David John and Patrick Bristow and these guys don't even hardly teach anymore in Los Angeles because they're, they're just too busy working. You know, they're just, they're off the charts, but, and they're great teachers. So it's kind of, it's kind of weird that here in Denver, we have access to those master level teachers or even above master level. That's really cool. It seems like Colorado is really developing like a footprint in acting and, and filming things. Well, before I moved here, back in the 90s, they used to have a great amount of television shows that used to shoot here because, you know, the, the scenery is fantastic and, and the climate is great. But nowadays, I mean, we're trying here. We're trying pretty hard, but we there's not a lot of incentive for productions to come here, like big, big productions. Like there's other markets like Georgia, Atlanta is a huge market outside of, you know, New York and Los Angeles. And then Albuquerque is a great, you know, New Mexico is a great market as well. Texas kind of was for a little while, but I think they've also lost some incentives. Hey, Streetwalkers, here's a word from our sponsors. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's get back into it. I don't know if you understand the whole incentive process in the in filmmaking, but Colorado will only give back a limited amount, maybe fifteen percent, maybe ten to anywhere from between ten and twenty percent of a production's what they spend. The state will kick back the money to the production that actually spends it. And what happens is Colorado has a limited amount of incentive money that they put up each year. And so what happens is if a big production comes in town, like the Hateful Eight came into town and they pretty much gobbled up all the incentive money for a whole year. So no other production was going to get any kickback money, any refund money. So that the other states, Georgia, uh, Louisiana, they have a great incentive program, and and out, and uh, New Mexico, they have a really good incentive program. So the big productions from Los Angeles and stuff 
come to those markets to shoot their movies. So Colorado is a little bit of a disadvantage for their the crew, the cast, casting and crew members. But I mean, we're we're still trying to fight to to get what we can get approved by the state. Wow. Well, thank you for all of that insight. I mean, I, I knew a little bit, but I think you explained it really well. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about in theaters right now. Sicario 2, Day of the Soldado. Day of the Soldado, that is correct. Now, I saw the first one, and it was great, but I don't feel like it did enough box office to warrant a second one. Yeah, I, I think it did well, but it was like a slow burn. It wasn't like a like a big release and made a ton of money. But, but I think it kept getting enough. It's almost, I mean, it's way, way bigger than a, like a cult following, you know, some of those smaller movies that just keep getting sold or keep getting watched. It was doing a little bit better than that. It was such a good movie, just an incredible movie because I knew some people that were in it and, you know, I just kept hearing the name of it and then once I got around to watching it, I'm like, oh, man, that was a, a beautiful piece of work, you know. Yeah, I was a little surprised. I was a little surprised that, the, that they spent as much as they did on the sequel. And it's, I mean, they pretty much instantly kicked it into a franchise, you know, because I don't know if you've seen the Day of the Soldado, but it's it pretty much leads to the next movie. That's where they're going. Now, I think the first one was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture, I think. and I, I'm not 100% sure on that. but I'm I, not 100% I, I, either, but I feel like that's why my wife and I watched it, because we always watch every Best Picture nominee before the awards. So I feel like, like I said, I might be wrong, but I feel like it was nominated. So it's set up for a, for a third installment, but I'm pretty sure I heard somewhere that the, the director of 2 said he's not coming back for 3 because of, I guess because Stefano of... Stefano Salima. Yeah, I don't know. I barely saw him at the premiere, and I didn't, I didn't have a chance to talk to him. He's being swarmed by so many people. Sure. So I have... No information on that. Right. I would love to tell you everything I know, but that that would make for a short podcast. <laughs> so tell me about how how was it shooting that? Because that is by far the biggest thing that you've done, right, in front of a camera. That is correct. Yeah, and 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 it's like out of sequence. I actually shot my scene with I'm in a scene with Josh Brolin, and I had shot that prior to working with Anne Hage on the break. So, you know, I, I was super stoked. That was like, yeah, that was, might have been the end of 2016 when, when I had shot that. And so, I mean, I was like begging for that thing to come out within six months. But, you know, it's such a huge production with so many working parts, you know, in order to edit. And, you know, they're, you know, they're recording as much as they can with the original script. And then they, they changed the script, you know, I, they were very secretive about everything on set, you know, as, as an actor, I didn't get to see the whole script. I never got to see the script. I only got to see two scenes worth of, you know, maybe seven, eight pages or something like that. And, you know, for other actors that were, were, um, small supporting roles as well, they, they did they only got to see what they were doing. Initially, when I went in to read for, I read actually read for two parts in, in the, the film. And it's kind of crazy because I, I really spent more time working on the audition for the 
part that I didn't book. So I was like, I really wanted to play this character. So I'm like, oh, this is this, this is meaty. This is really really meaty. And so I worked on that. And when you get the when you get your audition, you only have maybe if you're lucky if you get more than a, a full day to work on it because everything moves pretty quickly in the so you have to get the side, you have to get memorized, you have to you know make your choices on what you're going to do in your audition. So I went and auditioned for this part or two parts. I wanted one, the one that I wanted I didn't get booked for, but it turns out it worked out very nicely because they edited that that storyline out of the film. Had I booked that part, then I, I wouldn't be in the film. How fortuitous! Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Very cool. Where did that shoot? We shot in Al, uh, yeah, Albuquerque, Albuquerque, and they also shot in Mexico as well. Have you seen it? Yeah, I was at the premiere. I was at the premiere in Los Angeles on the 26th, and it went its national release was on the 29th. Well, what did you think about the finished product? I think it's great. I think it's a little bit different. Probably this one has. Uh, it seems like a lot more action in it. First one, we kind of live through Emily Blunt's character, but then this one it was removed from that, and then we have it, it, it was pretty action based. It didn't really slow down. When my scene came up on onto the screen, you know, I was sitting with this other actress in in the, at the premiere, and you know, she's like, ah, "Congratulations," you know, whispering. And, but I wanted to say something, but it, the movie moved so fast, I had, there was no time that I could just lean over and whisper to her, you know, about anything. It just moves very fast. And I think it's a great product. I think for a, a, a different director to come in and take over the vibe of, 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 you know, the original film, it's not, it's a completely different story. And it's even a standalone story by itself. You don't even, you don't need to know what happened in the first movie to, to watch the second movie. But I think Stefano did a, a wonderful job taking up over this franchise. Well, there it goes, we don't know. We don't know. Very cool. Now, we don't normally have billboards for movies down here in San Antonio. I know L.A., like every single billboard is for a movie or a TV show. But here, we don't really have that. But there are a couple of Day of the Soldado billboards. And the art is mm -hmm. stunning for this poster. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I was just in Los Angeles and Very cool. What do you got coming up? What's on the horizon for Dan Davidson? What's on the horizon? I'm, I'm doing a couple. I'm, I'm doing some private. I'm trying to. I'm doing some private shows from comedy shows, and then I'm also uh, doing some writing for some film. You know, I'm doing writing some a short film right now. It's a comedy, and so that's kind of a new process for me to write for this little the, the box, or the frame of a television. You know, I'm, you know, when you're doing stand up, it's very I know that environment. I've worked in that that medium for many, many years, you know, 20-plus years. So to write for a screen is very different. So I'm, like, figuring things out and, you know, understanding the story structure of uh, storytelling on, on camera. So that's my big thing right now that I've been really focusing on is, is the writing. And I'm going to produce it, you know, and probably direct it. I'm not sure if I will or not, but I'll probably try to direct it again. I have to take my cap off to those those, those big-time actors who direct and act in their own product. I mean, because, you know, the people who do it well, i got to tip my cap to them because that, that's a lot of responsibility, you know, to be that good of an actor that where you can just switch hats and just, you know, be in front of the camera and behind the camera.
over the uh, like sometimes on the same day. It's it's. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you've been on sets before, but it takes uh, just a ton of energy to 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 make uh, a film. You know, even a small film. So I'm excited about that and learning the whole process of taking something from script to to, to final production and then put it into some film festivals and see how it's received. Well, that sounds kick-ass. Is there a name for this project or is it a secret right now? Well, no, I don't want to release it just yet. Okay. Because the name that I have for it, I think it's, it'll probably stay with it, but it kind of alludes to what might happen and I don't want anybody to get any hold of those ideas and start doing something on their own because somebody might grab it and work faster than me, you know. Well, that makes sense. Dan, as we're as we're heading out of here, tell everybody where they can find you on social media. Social media. You can uh, go to facebook.com slash go see Dan. That'll give you access to me. I am also at the Dan Davis, the Dan Davidson, but it's spelled the uh, on Twitter and and uh, Instagram as well. Sweet. And do you have a dandavidson.net? I do have a dandavidson.net, but I'm like in the process of having that redone, so so it's a lot more uh, social uh, media friendly, so it, it'll kind of bring you to all the outlets and stuff. But I'm in the process of getting that done. But yes, dandavidson.net is a put it in your browser and, and, and put it as a bookmark. Cool. All of those social media tags and that web address will be in the show notes, guys. So just scroll down and they will all be there. Make sure to reach out and say hello to Dan and uh, tell him how much you enjoyed this interview. Uh, before I let you go, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that I didn't bring up? No, not necessarily. No, I think you're, you did your work. You did your work and you uh, surprised me with a couple things. <laughs> cool. Well, have a great rest of your day and try not to tase yourself anymore. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Dan. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Opening music is the song Magnolia from the 2014 album Intransigence. Used with permission from Douglas Miles Clark. Closing music is Apollo from the 2001 album Into the Known by the band Sapphire. Thanks for hanging out with us and getting to know a little bit about our guest. We'll see you next time on Fascination Street. Thank you.